And again, please give your attention to God's holy word. Ruth chapter 2. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when, they are th and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? <clears throat> and Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also, let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went to the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man whose name with whom I worked today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relative of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabite said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young man. 
or go out with his young women, and that the people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Again, thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the clarity of your word. And we thank you, O Lord, that your Holy Spirit testifies to your word in our hearts. And as we look now at Ruth chapter 2, help us, O Lord, to see the truths that you have here for us and to learn from them and to apply them to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So who here knows who Adam Smith is and what he was famous for? Now, if you said, wasn't Adam Smith the guy who played Batman on TV back in the 60s? I'd say, no, that was Adam West. Adam Smith, though, was a Scottish economist and a philosopher who lived during the 18th century. His years, if you care to mark them, are 1723 to 1790. And what Adam Smith was famous for was that he was often referred to as the father of economics or the father of capitalism. And his great work was a work by the very short title called An Inquiry into the Nature and Causes of the Wealth of Nations, or more abbreviated, The Wealth of Nations. He is the father of capitalism. And in that work, Adam Smith often talked about what he called the invisible hand of the market at work. In other words, in a capitalist economy, each individual, as they seek to promote their own good, the invisible hand of the free market works so that the, uh, to benefit the entire society as a whole. And it does so by keeping prices low and working on the law of supply and demand. Now, I know you all didn't come here to learn about economics or about Adam Smith or even Adam West for that matter. But what we do want to look at is, if you recall from last week, uh, there was a famine in the land of Bethlehem. And and there was no bread in the house of bread. And here, so then Naomi then and her family moved from Bethlehem and they moved to Moab where her husband Elimelech and her two sons die. And then from there, Naomi decides to go back home and she pleads with her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, to return back to their families because you have no prospects with me. So go back to your families. And we learn again last week also that it was Orpah who said, okay, fine, I'll go back to my family but it was Ruth who then clung to Naomi and returned with her back to Bethlehem. And the point of all this is to see how the God works and how the invisible hand will work in the story of Ruth, the invisible hand of God's providence to bring out blessing and glory. And again, if you recall again last week as well, when they returned to Bethlehem, when uh, Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem, Naomi pours out her heart in bitter agony. When the women say, is this Naomi? She says to them, don't call me Naomi. My name means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter because I went away full and I came back empty. The hand of the Lord has done this to me. But again, if you remember at the end of Ruth chapter one, we said that there was a glimmer of hope. There was a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, as in that chapter, in chapter one, verse 22, we see that Ruth return, or that Naomi returns home with Ruth, 
That's one blessing. And that they return home at the beginning of the barley harvest. God has brought food back to his people. And through it all, through that entire chapter, we saw that the Lord's kindness, his hesed, his kindness to his people was brought out in, even in the midst of disaster. That God shows his kindness to his people even in their deep, darkest times. And of course, that hesed, the steadfast love or loyalty or devotion or kindness or mercy of the Lord is essentially summed up as God's covenant love toward his people. The love that he shows to his people because they are his. They are the ones that he has promised. They are the ones that he has called out. They are the ones that he has chosen to be his people. And he graciously gives them his kindness. And whenever you see that word kindness here in Ruth, throughout the book of Ruth, it is talking about this hesed. Now, as we get to Ruth chapter two, what we're going to see here is the big idea this morning is that the invisible hand of the Lord moves to bless his people. The invisible hand of the Lord's providence is going to move to bring blessing into the life of Ruth and Naomi. And we're going to see this broken out in three parts. As we see in verses one through seven, Boaz is going to notice Ruth in those verses. And then in verses eight through 16, Boaz is going to show kindness to Ruth. And then in verses 17 through 23, Naomi will finally start to see the kindness of the Lord as this works out. So first, let us look at verses one through seven as Boaz takes notice of Ruth. As scene two, if you remember, Ruth, four chapters, kind of works itself out sort of like a four-part play. So as scene two starts, it begins with the introduction of this character, Boaz. Now, we've never seen Boaz before this point. In fact, if you look at the way this verse is structured, chapter two, verse one, this verse sort of breaks the narrative flow. You, you could quite literally go from chapter one, verse 22, on to chapter two, verse two, and not break the flow of the story. So what the author is doing here is he is bringing forth Boaz. It's sort of like, you know, he comes along and he says, okay, now let us interrupt our regular programming for a second. I want to show you this guy, Boaz. I'm going to front this story of Boaz here. I'm going to show you who this guy is. I'm going to talk a little bit about him because he's going to play an important role in a little bit. So keep your eyes focused on this guy. Now, what do we learn about Boaz? Well, the first and most important thing that we learn about Boaz is that he is a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. It is mentioned twice in this section, verse 1 and in verse 3. He was of the family of Elimelech. Now, why is that important? We'll get to that, so hold on to that thought. But secondly, we're told that Boaz is a worthy man. A worthy man. And literally in the Hebrew, it means that he is a man, a warrior hero, a man of great wealth and honor. So Boaz is being depicted here as a very upright, worthy, wealthy man. Now, all of these qualities will play a large part in the story that follows. But it is placed here at the beginning by the narrator as a sort of ray of hope. Again, remember, chapter one, things go very bad for Naomi. And she cries out to the Lord and says, I'm bitter. And the hand of the Lord has gone on against me. I do not see a way out of all of my troubles. 
And then as we come into chapter two, we're introduced to Boaz. And it's like, this is a ray of hope. You know, it's not as bad as you thought, Naomi. Things are going to get better. So we pick up the narrative then at the beginning of the barley harvest. And Ruth then goes to Naomi and says, let me go to the fields and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. That's verse two. Now, unless you're familiar with the Old Testament practices here or the law, you might be confused about what's going on here. So let me explain. Again, recall Naomi is a childless widow. She went away with a husband and two sons, came back a widower and childless. And Ruth is also a widowed foreigner. So she's not only widowed, she's not only childless, but she adds on top of that that she's a foreigner. As such, neither of them had any social standing in the the, the city. And they must live off the kindness and generosity of others. That's why Ruth says in her statement, let me go glean in the field of the one in whose eyes I find favor. In other words, let me go find someone who will be kind to me and allow me to glean in their fields. Now, as we know throughout the Old Testament, Naomi and Ruth then form two thirds of what I like to call the triad of the needy. You have widows, orphans and foreigners. And both of them are widows, and Ruth is a foreigner. So they're, they're part of this sort of grouping of people who are needy in the Old Testament. They are, in other words, they are the outcasts of society. They are the leftovers. They are the ones that do not seem to have received blessing from the hand of the Lord. But throughout all the Old Testament, God shows a great concern for the poor and for the needy. It's all over the Old Testament law. Deuteronomy 24, 19 states, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Israel was commanded by God to be kind to the widow, to be kind to the orphan and to be kind to the foreigner. And the basis for this command was the fact that Israel herself was a sojourner in the land of Egypt. They were needy. They were outcasts in the land of Egypt and they needed rescue. So just as the Lord saw to them as they were needy, they are to show that same kindness to the outcasts of their society, the widows, the orphans and the foreigners. In other words, their experience as outcasts should provide the necessary motivation for them to be kind toward others who are also outcasts in Jewish society. So Naomi goes on and says, go, my daughter. And Ruth then, as she was gleaning, just so happens to find herself in Boaz's field. She just so happens to find herself in Boaz's field. Now, how many of you here honestly think that this was a coincidence? Now, the narrator presents this from the point of view of Ruth, but he does so sort of like with a wink of the eye or with like a little tip of his hand to show the audience that this is not a coincidence, that this is indeed something being orchestrated by God. No, this is not a coincidence. This is God's invisible hand 
moving in the lives of his people to bless them. This is a sovereignly orchestrated event being here, being uh, accomplished here, bringing Ruth into contact with Boaz. Now, as Ruth is gleaning in the field of Boaz, we see Boaz now makes his entrance into the story. And we are told here that, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And again, the narrator is using this language of coincidence, this idea of behold. Well, it just so happened now that as Ruth is gleaning in his field, Boaz happens to come just at the right moment and catches, and she catches his eyes. Now, often the Old Testament narratives, the writer will often place an emphasis on the first words out of someone's mouth. The first words out of someone's mouth typically tell you a lot about that person. And what do we see here in the case of Boaz? Well, Boaz, as he comes to the field, he comes and he greets his workers and he says, the Lord be with you. May the, the blessings of Yahweh be upon you. And his workers respond in kind. They say, the Lord bless you as well. Boaz greets his workers and he blesses them. He's This shows him to be a man who respects those who work for him. He is kind to those who labor under him. Again, remember, we were told very right at the beginning of the story that Boaz was a worthy man. And here we see some evidence of that as he is kind and courteous to his workers and blesses their labors. Now, at this point, Boaz notices Ruth. And he asks this foreman, whose young woman is this? Who is that woman working in the field? That's what he wants to know. So it just so happens that Ruth finds herself in Boaz's field. And it just so happens that Boaz comes out at just the right time and notices her. Again, we see the invisible hand of the Lord moving to bless his people. He is moving to bring these two people together for a reason. Now the foreman tells Boaz everything that he knows about her. He says, well, this is the young Moabite who returned with Naomi. And she came early and she asked to glean in our fields. And she's been hard at work all day, only taking a few breaks every now and then. Now we've already mentioned the invisible hand of the Lord at work here a couple of times. So what appears as coincidence or luck in our lives is not that at all. Biblically speaking, there is no such thing as luck. There is no such thing as coincidence. In fact, our own confessional standards speak a lot about the providence of God. The providence of God. In fact, in Lord's Day 10, question 27, what do you understand by the providence of God? And the Heidelberg Catechism answers, says, Well, the providence of God, I understand to be the almighty, everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, Come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. This is no coincidence. This is providence. 
This is God's invisible hand moving here. God's providence is one of two ways, along with creation, that God employs to execute his divine decrees. Providence of, is God preserving and governing all of his creatures by ordering them in all of their actions for his own glory. So while it seems to Ruth and Boaz that this meeting was a coincidence, it was in fact a divine appointment. It was a divine appointment. Now maybe you can look back on your life on certain circumstances or situations in your life and say, yes, that was a divine appointment. I can look back and see, yeah, I could see how the things fell into place that this happened. Now, obviously, this is much easier to do in retrospect. It's much easier to do with hindsight. And it's much harder to perceive as it is happening in real time which is like the case here with Ruth and Boaz. They don't notice, they don't understand that God is providentially bringing them together, but he is. And maybe you're going through something right now and you don't know how this is going to end for you. You're not sure what the way out is, but God is providentially working even in these difficult situations to bring you where he wants you and to bring you to a point where his glory is proclaimed and your ultimate good is secured. In fact, it was God's invisible hand of providence that moved Christ to the cross. It was God's invisible hand that brought Christ to the cross. It was invisible to us, right? But not to Christ himself. The disciples, he often told him, he told, he told his disciples three times that he had to go and be uh, executed by the hands of men. And three times the disciples were like, whatever, or Far be it from you to die or what the, the disciples didn't understand it. He would say, I have to go to die. And the disciples are like, I don't understand what you're saying, Jesus. I don't get it. In fact, how many times in the Gospels do we see the writers say that it was not his time? Something happens and, and Jesus is, you know, escapes the hands of his pursuers because it was not yet his time. His time was coming to the cross. However, the greatest evil in human history, the execution of Jesus Christ, was turned into the greatest good of human history. And as a result, then, for us who are in Christ, we can say with Paul in Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. Every trial, every tribulation, everything that God brings into our lives he will redeem, he will redeem for our good and for his glory. Let us move on now to verses 8 through 16 as we see Boaz show kindness to Ruth. So after taking notice of Ruth, Boaz goes up to Ruth and he tells her to stick to his fields in verses 8 and 9. He says, don't glean in another field. Keep close to my young women. Stick to them like glue. And whenever you're thirsty, go to the water vessels and drink. And then he also tells her that he has charged his young man not to touch her. Here is a display of great kindness. Boaz is essentially giving Ruth a safe place to work and a guarantee of safety. A guarantee that she might not get if she were working in anyone else's field. 
And of course, Ruth then is floored by this kindness that Boaz shows to her. In verse 10, as he addresses her as my daughter, treating her tenderly and gently, and he treats her as a person. He doesn't say, you foreigner. No, he says, my daughter, don't go over here. Stay with my young men and young women. Stay with my field. And then she is so floored by this that she falls onto her face and she bows before him and she says, why have I found favor in your eyes? Because I am a foreigner. How have I been the recipient of your kindness? Why would you notice a foreigner like me? Even though she had forsaken everything to cling to Naomi, she still sees herself as a foreigner, as someone who is outcast, as someone who is less than everyone else. And she can't believe that Boaz would be so kind to a foreigner like her. However, Boaz tells her the reason why he has shown kindness to her. He tells Ruth that her kindness, her hesed to Naomi has been made known to him. He has heard of her devotion to Naomi, even after the death of her own husband. He has heard about how she has left behind her former life, how she has left behind her people, her family, her country, and her gods. In other words, her reputation had preceded her. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. We see this all the time, right? Whenever you're looking for a recommendation for anything, you're asking about a reputation. I was looking for recommendations for restaurants. I'd go to my good friend Aaron over there in the back and say, Aaron, can you recommend some restaurants? So, you know, the, the reputation of these restaurants then is sort of preceding the, their, their, their own uh, goodness to see how good they are. Or whenever you go on Amazon or on Yelp and you're checking for uh, you want to look at the reviews of something. What you're doing is you're checking the reputation of that product. How good is this product? What are people saying about this product? And it's never too early for any of us, whether old or young, to build your reputation because that reputation will precede you. If you are a person of integrity, that reputation will precede you. If you are one who is honest, and above board in your dealings, that reputation will precede you. And we all know, too, that the opposite is true as well, right? If you are a faithless person, if you are a dishonest person, that reputation will precede you as well. So because of Ruth's kindness to Naomi, Boaz then prays that Yahweh, the Lord, will repay her for what she has done. In other words, may the Lord give you a full reward. Ruth forsook family. She forsook her home. She forsook her foreign gods. She lost a husband. And, and, and now Boaz is saying, may the Lord repay you. And then some. May he give you a full reward. Now this might go without saying, but the Lord is never indebted to anyone. Job 41.11 says, who is first given to me that I should repay him? There is no sacrifice, there's no service that we make to the Lord that will not be graciously rewarded. Now we need to note that God is not obligated to reward our obedience. Our obedience to God is already owed to him 
for the sheer fact that we are his creatures and he is the creator. But God, because of his love for us, because of his covenant for us, graciously condescends and graciously agrees to bless even our imperfect obedience. It is a gracious act on his part. In fact, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 19, 29, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, everyone who has left these things for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Notice that. If you give up anything for Christ, you're going to receive a hundredfold in this lifetime and also eternal life. That is good news. That is amazing news. In other words, you can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. Now, Boaz commends Ruth for taking refuge under the wings of Yahweh. I love that imagery. Under the wings of Yahweh. This is a common Old Testament image of coming under the protection of God. We see this all throughout the Psalms. And in Matthew 23, 37, Jesus laments that Israel rejected her Messiah, though he had longed to take them under his wings and guard them as a, as a mother hen guards her little chicks. And after hearing Boaz's speech, Ruth knows that she has found favor in his eyes. Boaz has dispelled her fears. She has no need to worry about finding food or being assaulted by the young men. And she also recognizes the above and beyond kindness that Boaz has shown to her, seeing how she's not even one of his uh, servants. She is a foreigner. She is an outcast. Yet Boaz is overflowingly show kindness to her. Her above and beyond kindness that she showed to Naomi is now being shown back to her by Boaz. Now, this is truly the Lord's doing, right? For only God can so work in someone's heart to this extent. But wait, there's more, right? In verses 14 through 16, Boaz continues to lavish blessings on Ruth. He invites her to his table during mealtime and treats her to a lavish feasts. And she, she eats her fill and she even has leftovers, And then when she goes back to glean in the field, Boaz tells his reapers to be deliberately careless as they work, allowing Ruth to glean even among the sheaves. This is going way beyond what was prescribed in the Old Testament law. They were only not to glean to the edges of their field, but Boaz is saying, look, just dump stuff on the ground and let her pick it up. Now imagine Ruth's reaction as she's gleaning through the fields. You know, she's picking up all this grain, all this stuff. And she's like, wow, I didn't realize what a good gleaner I was. I'm getting all this stuff. This is amazing. How lucky can I be? Again, the invisible hand of the Lord's providence working in Boaz. It is clear that Boaz was moved to show above and beyond kindness to Ruth. Clearly, he was moved by the reports that he had heard about Ruth's kindness to Naomi. Now, could there be more? Is Boaz perhaps trying to woo Ruth, trying to attract her? We don't know for sure. I mean, perhaps Ruth is a young widow of marriageable age. 
But I think if anything here, Boaz is not attracted to her physically because we're not told what she looks like. We're not told at all what she looks like. We're told a lot about her character. And that is what is attractive to Boaz. He is attracted to her inward beauty, as 1 Peter 3, 4 says. So God's invisible hand not only brought Ruth and Boaz together, but also so moved within Boaz's heart that he becomes attracted to her. Now we can certainly look to Boaz as an example of above and beyond kindness toward others, especially to those who are in that group of the needy, the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners. Particularly here in the United States, there is a tendency to sort of let our politics influence our theology to the point where we look at some issues of justice and we think of, well, that's socialism or that's liberalism particularly if you hear the term social justice, that sort of just evokes a negative connotation in our hearts. Let me tell you this. God is concerned with social justice. Putting those two words together is not wrong. It's just not the way the world understands social justice. Social, Social justice from a biblical point of view is far different from the way the world looks at it which is why I'm thankful that here at Emmanuel and in other churches, we have deacons who see to the the needs of others and to the ministry of mercy and kindness to others, sharing God's kindness and hesed with those around us. But more than that, I hope it's becoming quite clear that Boaz is also a type of Christ, that he points forward and pictures Christ. We see this more as the story of Ruth unfolds, but even here in chapter 2, we get glimpses of this. His above and beyond kindness that he shows to Ruth, the foreigner, pictures the above and beyond kindness that Christ shows to us. Hebrews 12, 2 says that Christ, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He did all of that out of love. He did all of that out of hesed, out of kindness. And finally, little does Boaz know that when he prayed about Ruth taking refuge under the wings of Yahweh, he didn't realize that he would be the answer to his own prayer, as we will look at that in Ruth chapter 3. But Boaz here is a true son of Israel. He is reflective of what an Israelite should be. And as a true son of Israel, he reflects Christ, who himself is the true Israel. Finally, let's look at verses 17 through 23, as Naomi now begins to see the kindness of the Lord. So it's evening time, and Ruth is beating out what she has gleaned in verse 17. And it says that she gleaned about an ephah of barley. Now, if you're like me, it's like, Okay, well, what's an ephah? I don't know. What's an ephah? Well, I had to look this up. An ephah comes out to about 22 liters of grain. Now, again, I'm like, okay, what's 22 liters? I'm metrically challenged. So, again, I had to work this out. It comes out to approximately six gallons of grain. That's a lot of grain. Okay, that is a lot of grain. That is quite a haul for one day's work. Ruth went out empty. And she came back overflowingly full. 
the invisible hand of the Lord again at work, moving to bless his people. In fact, that amount of barley, uh, one source said, would be about two weeks worth of food for both Ruth and Naomi. That's one day's work. One day's work. And the harvest is not over yet. So Ruth hurries home to Naomi to show her the hall, along with the little doggy bag that she brought from Boaz's table. And Naomi can hardly believe her eyes. She sees what Ruth is coming back with. She's like, whoa, what have you got here? Where did you glean, she says. Where have you worked, she asks. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Now when you're bitter, when you're down and out, nothing perks you up like a huge, unexpected, but divinely appointed windfall. Naomi may have went away full and come back empty, but she was going to have enough to eat, at least for the foreseeable future. And that's only after one day of gleaning. Now, last time we mentioned that Naomi had no clue how blessed she really was, how so not empty she really was. Now, perhaps she's beginning to pick up on this a little bit. Naomi must realize that this hall is too good to be true because she says, blessed is the man who took notice of you. You must have caught somebody's eye because this is too good to be true. Then Ruth tells her what the man's name was. You know, you can almost sense the tension as she says it. The name of the man in whose field I gleaned today was, wait for it, it was Boaz. It was Boaz. Now, I wonder if you could have heard a pin drop after she said that name, you know, Boaz, and then silence. Now, try not to miss the dramatic effect of what's going on here, the way the narrator is trying to tell this story. Because um, the whole reason for fronting Boaz in verse 1, the whole reason for telling us that this man was a worthy man becomes evident now. We were told that he was a relative of Elimelech, a relative of Naomi's husband, that he was a worthy man, and now we know why. When Naomi hears that Ruth's benefactor was Boaz, you could see Naomi's sense, she's starting to sense a divine reversal of fortune in her life. The woman who felt herself accursed by the Lord is now able to bless the man who has shown above and beyond kindness. The woman who felt like she went out full, but the Lord brought her back empty, now is beginning to see the Lord's above and beyond kindness to her mediated or brought through by the hand of Boaz. Maybe Naomi won't get married. Maybe she won't bear any more sons, but she is beginning to see that light at the end of the tunnel, that little ray of hope. Naomi reveals to Ruth the significance of who Boaz is, and don't miss the inclusive language that she uses here. Now, I remember in chapter one, Ruth says, you know, I went away full and came back empty. Even though she had Ruth with her, Naomi says, I went away full and came back empty. She doesn't acknowledge Ruth. Now she's using inclusive language here. This man, Boaz, is a close relative of ours. He is one of our redeemers. And what does it mean to say that he is one of our redeemers? Again, you have to go back a little bit into Old Testament law to figure this out. According to Leviticus 25, a redeemer is someone, a close family relative, who was obliged by the law 
to buy back mortgage property, and to purchase someone out of slavery. This is the way God provided for his people that if they fell on hard times, a family member can sort of redeem them, can get them out of hock, if you will. In the case of Naomi, since her husband was dead and her sons were dead, the property that her husband had would have normally just been absorbed by the rest of the clan. But a redeemer can then buy back that property and preserve it for Naomi and her family. So Boaz here, as a redeemer, he is in a position to reverse Naomi's stigma of loss and her stigma of failure and her stigma of barrenness. And also to save the family inheritance as well. And also to protect the line that would eventually produce the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's what is going on here. Now, upon hearing this news, Ruth tells Naomi that Boaz has instructed her to remain with his young men until the harvest was complete. And of course, Naomi says, this is a good idea. I think you should stay with this man. He has shown you so much kindness. I think it would be foolish to leave this man. Now, this is a little bit ironic because it was Naomi and her husband who left the fields of Judah to go to the fields of Moab in the first place. But here she's saying, no, don't leave his field. Stay in his field. Don't go anywhere else. Don't repeat my mistake is what she's saying. And then here scene two of Ruth ends with Ruth remaining with Boaz's young women until the end of the wheat and barley harvest, about a period of six or seven weeks. So as whereas scene one ends with a little glimmer of hope, scene two ends with hope kindled. This theme of a redeemer or of redemption, as we mentioned, is one of the two main themes that runs throughout the book of Ruth. In fact, the redemption of Naomi and the reversal of her fortunes forms the heart of the story of Ruth. It is a redemption that is brought about by a young Moabite woman who showed above and beyond kindness and was herself shown above and beyond kindness. And of course, behind the scenes of it all is the invisible hand of the Lord moving to bless his people. An event that just happened was in reality a divine appointment. Now again, last week we mentioned it's hard to see the Lord's blessings when you feel like you've gone out full and you've come back empty. But here, Ruth 2 teaches us that the Lord's kindness, his hesed, does not forsake the living or the dead. That Moabite daughter-in-law who clung to Naomi, who forsook everything, and who, who had her kindness, she had her kindness repaid by the Lord through the kindness of Boaz. And while it may be challenging in the midst of trial to find that silver lining in it, I urge you to look for that person, for those people who are showing you the kindness of the Lord. However, we must face a very simple truth that oftentimes there is no guarantee of a happy ending in this life. There, God will, can, and does often bring happy endings, but there's no guarantee of that. Think of Daniel's friends, right? Daniel's friends in Daniel chapter 3 when they were about to be cast into the, into the uh, fiery furnace. Uh, they say, the Lord can deliver us. 
But then they also say, even if the Lord doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to bow down to your silly statue, O king. We're going to worship God, even if he doesn't deliver us. The good news is that we have far more in Christ than we could ever hope for or deserve in this life. Again, remember when Jesus said, you haven't given up anything that will not be repaid hundredfold and then eternal life. Because that eternal life is far more than any blessing we'll see in this lifetime. Paul says in Ephesians 1.3, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And 1 Peter 1 tells us that we have an undefiled, unfading, incorruptible inheritance that is being kept in heaven for us. The point being, we shouldn't focus on the here and now. The blessings we receive in this life will pale in comparison to the blessings that await us when Christ returns. So as we bring this to a close, the concept of redemption is not only big in the book of Ruth, it is the key to all of redemptive history. From Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, the focus is on redemption, from fall to redemption in Christ. And the story in Ruth about a kinsman redeemer who redeems the land and offspring for Naomi is a picture of the great acts of redemption by God on behalf of his people. Of course, the greatest act of redemption in the Old Testament is the exodus from Egypt. We've often said this, all of Old Testament history looks back on how God redeemed his people from Egypt. But this too is a picture of of a far greater act of redemption that we have in Christ. Sin in our lives, sin is a far greater existential threat than anything Naomi or Ruth ever faced or anything we will ever face in this lifetime because it is our sin that alienates us from a holy God. It creates an infinite gap, an infinite chasm that cannot be breached, that cannot be bridged by anything we do, anything we say, any of our good works or religious rituals or religious worship can ever bridge that gap. Only Christ can bridge that gap. It is an infinitely wide chasm. And just as the Jews who were enslaved in Egypt, we were enslaved by our sin with no hope for rescue. But the good news is that the cross of Jesus Christ is able to bridge that chasm between God and man that is caused by our sin. As a man, Christ can stand in our place as the second or the last Adam and fulfill the covenant of works. We failed the covenant of works, but Christ fulfills everything. He fulfilled perfectly the entire law of God. And of course, as God, Christ is the only one who can offer up an acceptable sacrifice for the sin that, for sin that atones for all of his people. So thus by his broken body and shed blood, Christ purchases redemption for those who place their faith and trust in him. Christ alone is our true kinsman redeemer. And all of this is brought about by the invisible hand of the Lord who moves to bless his people. The story of Ruth is just but one thread in the vast tapestry of redemptive history that moves in its inexorable course to bring us the greater Boaz, the greater David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.